So what has a chain? I love that sound. The sound of chain is great, isn't it? A pair of boxing gloves. Do you like my boxing gloves? I quite like them. I like the gold on it. You can kind of cheer if you do or bang your feet or whatever. And a sugar cube. An earth got, what have those three things got to do this morning with you fulfilling your mission? With what God has got, for, my boxing gloves are in the way. Now, let me move them there, and then they're going to be in the way when I'm trying to walk back and to. So, okay, so apparently the first pole is up, all right? So before you answer, let me just give you some context. The first pole, I reckon this is the important bit, really, but maybe God thinks that the question that's coming up is more important. But for me, I, this, is, this is huge, this one. So when we went into lockdown, as many of you may have experienced, I mean, I was going to the gym and then suddenly the gym's closed. So I put on a bit of weight and I'm like, oh man, I've got to kind of sort this out. So we got to the autumn time and the gym's opened again. So I started going back to the gym and getting fit. And then suddenly the gym's closed again. I'm just getting back into a routine. I'm just getting all set and, you know, and getting healthy again. Gym's closed again and I'm like man so I decided another thing many years ago that after hearing some advice I was like that's it I'm going to live a no excuses life no excuses I'm not going to make excuses I'm just going to find a way and if I can't do it I can't do it and so be it so I decided right no excuses gyms have closed that's just an excuse for not keeping fit I'm going to find another way so I bought myself a pair of boxing gloves and a heavy bag, and I've been boxing at the gym anyway, not with people, just with heavy bag and stuff like that. And then I kind of started working out in the, in the garage at home and doing all of that. Anyway, recently, our, our office upstairs that me and Vicky spend a lot of the time through the week working in, I said to her, hey, you know, I'm thinking if I got a heavy bag for the office and put it up in the office, like lunchtime, whatever, could just kind of jump on it and, you know, a little quick 20-minute workout. She said no. She said no. In fact, you might be interested to hear that the, one of the pastors of this church, right, has, has issued threats and blackmail blackmail tactics, right? She's threatened not to come to the office if I put a heavy bag in there. And she's blackmailed me by saying she's going to, whatever this means, girlify the office if I do. I can only imagine it means it's going to smell like flipping, I don't know what. And there's going to be a million candles in there, which is what would probably Vicky would do if she had her own way. So, there is a poll this morning. It's a little bit of fun, but hey, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Are we aware of that? Come on. I mean, it, we are a joyful church. We're going to have some fun. But I think this is serious this morning. I think this is really serious. If you agree with me, jump on there and put a yes to the question about should a pastor be allowed a punch bag in his office or a heavy bag? Or I'm, I'm thinking of even an up and down ball because that's a little bit more lightweight. I am saying I'm going to take it down in between using it. And if you think, no, that maybe it's not appropriate, I can't imagine that anyone would apart from Vicky, then please, you know, feel free to just not even answer and don't even bother with that. Anyway, I'm preparing the message. Sit down, Vicky. This is, I've got the mic. Just sit down, love. So um, I, <laughs> I am preparing the message this morning. And I want to talk to you about, uh, as I said at the beginning, fulfilling your mission in life. 
And I want to look at Christian missions. In fact, I'm actually looking at one particular Christian mission in the Bible, okay? And, and it's an incredible story, really, really powerful story, so much in there, there's a lot to get out of it. But obviously, thinking about Christian missions, and I'm, I'm kind of preparing, and I wasn't particularly praying at this point. I wasn't like, hey, God, you know, asking him questions or anything like that. And as I'm preparing, it was just like the Holy Spirit just dropped in and said, the church needs to do a mission. So, and we're going to talk in a little bit to add a little bit of context, but the question, we, maybe we could stick the question up now, Laurie, and a big thanks to Laurie and Sam at the back for what these guys do, because they astound me with what they managed to pull off. It is quite incredible, really, particularly when you've got a pastor like me who last minute says, hey guys, could you just do this? And like, you know, it's just, yeah, but anyway, so does it, hey, all right, all right, I've got the mic, come on, thank you. So we, <laughs> the question should be going up, but the question is around, I, I really feel that we need to do a mission as a church. We've done many, many missions over the years. We're not a new church, but we're not an old church either. Church has been going for years, but there's always a new kind of angle on this church because God is always doing a new thing. Amen? Anyone agree with that? Absolutely. Anyone experiencing that? So, you know, this is a new season that we're in, and I really feel that God wants to do something missional with our church but I don't know what. Maybe I don't have to know what. Who knows? But, you know, Poles in the, old, in the New Testament, in the Bible, are nothing new. They took a poll to decide who the deacons should be. And there's many different times when they kind of, you know, ask the congregation and different things like that. So I'm putting it out there and I'm asking you whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room and you're clicking on the link. You know, is this somewhere? We're going to look at in a minute. I'll give a little bit of context to this. But is there somewhere that you feel that, hey, you know, I think this would be a great place for the church to do some work, to do something? It could be near, it could be far, it really doesn't matter where it is. Just send any of your thoughts, proposals, ideas, anything in. And if you can't get on the Facebook link or anything like that, that's absolutely cool. Write it on a bit of paper, give it us at the end of the meeting. If you're watching online, then you must be able to get on it because you're obviously watching online. So you wouldn't be able to hear me if you couldn't kind of see it. Oh, however, if you are on YouTube, you won't be able to get it. I think we could only get this going on Facebook. So if you're watching on YouTube, just DM us. I'll put it in the comments and that'll get picked up by the team on there and they will let us know. But let us know where you think and then we'll get together as a leadership team and we'll pray about it and, you know, and try and, you know, seek God and find out what the right thing to do is. But I think this is something we all have a part in. Amen. Anyone think that would be, you know, good and, and right? So this is a church thing, and, and missions are exciting, you know. About, I don't know, six, seven years ago, our youth, kind of 18 to 20s, they raised 12 to 13,000 pounds and went on a mission to Zambia. So there's a great history of missions in the church. Well before that, we've had missions, over 50 missions to Romania that originated and started in this church and they were continued by another, one, a member of this church who went off to pastor a church, and that's been continued over the years. We've done tent ministries all around the, the country where a tent's been put up and put down, and all kinds of in Philippines. We have missionaries in the Philippines for nigh on, what, six, eight years, something like that, and under the previous Pastor Tina and Dennis as well. So there's a, a, a rich, rich history in this church. And, you know, sometimes the seasons when you hit a pause on something because there's other things you're doing. But now I feel is the season. Well, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying now is the season and this is the time. So I'm asking you to help us out. 
really asking you, you know, pray about it, put your thoughts in there. If you're not sure, just put that in. Just say, you know what, I'm thinking this. And, and, and that's cool. That's absolutely cool. If you feel God saying something, then put that in as well. Just be honest and say what it is you think. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get down to mission. Mission in the Bible. A little bit of context that I want, I want to talk about. It's a particular mission. In fact, there's a, there's a, there's a cast for this mission. I wrote down the cast in this little story. The first member of the cast is a guy called Paul. We talked about Paul quite a bit recently over the last few months. Apostle Paul, incredible guy. He he if you've ever kind of felt like you got the raw end of the stick and other people were doing the glamorous job. I reckon this was probably, they talked about Paul and who he is. You could say that about Paul because in Paul's time the, the Jewish church, the synagogue and all of that was the established church. That was the cool place to be. If you wanted to be that people looked up to you and thought you were something, then the Jewish church was the one, even at the beginning of the New Testament, right? Because the New Testament started off with Jews. Jesus was a Jew. All the early Christians were Jews. That's how the New Testament church started. So that was the church. If you like, if there was a cool place to be, that was the cool place to be, the cool place to be a leader. Paul chose, sorry, God chose Paul or Saul as he was known. And then went, I'm going to send you off to the Gentiles to the heathens, to the kind of, you know, to the outback, to the back streets and the backwater. But here's the thing about what Paul was sent off to do. What he started off with and what he did became the global church. It became the most incredible part of the church. It became massive and huge. And then the second member of the cast is a guy called Silas. And Silas, if you ever look at pictures, if you Google pictures of Silas, you would see Silas with chains on him, but you'd see them chains as broken. Broken would be the pictures that depicted Silas. I'm wondering if I could, no, anyway. No, I won't, just because, you know, because of, of time. <laughs> the next member of this cast, although he's really the author, but he is a part of it because he's there with him, is a guy called Luke. And, you know, as any good mission needs the doctor that they take with them in case something goes wrong. And he's there with them because Luke is a doctor. And he's there and he wrote, if you, you know, he wrote the book named after him called Luke. And he wrote the book that this story is in called Acts as well. He wrote those two books and they're both incredible books. I love the book of Acts. It's a, it's a great, great book. It's one of those books, you know, it's full of stories. And you can just get into it, can't you? And just really enjoy reading it. It's, a, it's an incredible book. The next member of the cast is a, is a lady I'm going to mention. There's, there's many others. A lady called Lydia. And she's actually quite a rich woman. You've got a rich woman called Lydia. And then finally, well, there's, there's two others really. There's a, a poor woman. We don't actually know her name. She's a slave woman. So you've got a rich woman and you've got a poor woman. And then you've got a guy called Timothy. And he's the young one, right? He, he's just a kid. And he gets, as I say, dragged along. But he's taken along. It's not fair to say dragged along. But let's say it anyway, just for a laugh. He gets dragged along on this mission. And he's there. And he's seeing Paul and what Paul and Silas are doing. And, and all of those characters. And another thing I should say about Silas is that it says of Silas, right, Paul described Silas like this, as a faithful brother. 
Think about this, right? God chose to include that in the Bible about Silas. He was a faithful brother. Wouldn't you want to be known, ladies, as a faithful sister, guys, as a faithful brother? 100%. Before I was even a pastor, my allegiance, if you like, was to my pastor, and that was it. I thought that was important. I thought that was, was crucial, and I thought God would use that And I believe he has done, and I believe he does do. I believe that faithfulness God uses, and Silas is described as a faithful brother. I think that should should is worthy of mentioning and and honor, if you like. But the story, it's an interesting little bit of background to the story. Love to give a little bit of context. We talked about the characters. Basically, the church have got together and they've decided to send Paul and Silas and the others off on a mission. Lydia, by the way, isn't sent off. They meet her in in the story, as you'll see in a moment, and the Paul lady as well. But basically, they send them off and they go off on the mission. And you can read about it in Acts 14, 15, 16, round about that area. Read the whole book, though, because it's a great book. And basically, Paul gets it in his head my words, not his, that he wants to go to Asia. I don't know why, doesn't really reveal to us why, but Paul's passionate and wants to go to Asia. But it says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, prevents him from going. This, it doesn't say like the Spirit spoke to him, an angel appeared and said, no, you can't go. It kind of talks as if he was hindered. The word that's used is as if he was hindered and stopped from going, as if he's trying to go to Asia, but like God just keeps stopping him, just keeps putting obstacles in his way. And eventually, I'm sure Paul comes to the conclusion that, you know what, I keep trying this and it ain't working, and this is clearly God. It's closing a door and saying no this ain't happening. Sound familiar to anyone? Anyone experienced that in their life? And he's desperate to go, but he can't. And the thing is, right, that God turns something that is a lack of permission for Paul into his mission. God will turn your lack of permission into your mission. Do you know that? Tension, prevention causes tension, but God will use that tension to get your attention. Do you know that? God will take your lack of permission and he'll turn it into your mission. He'll take the prevention and he'll use that tension because that's what happens with prevention and he'll use it to get your attention, to use you, to cause you to fulfill your mission in life. I'm getting passionate maybe too early. I could have left that a little bit later. Let's bring it down a touch for a minute. We want a bit of light and dark. That's the bridge there. We've done a little pre-bridge. Let's, let's go to the story. And there's a great kind of lovely story in here. And, and I, I Oh, wow. I'm just going to talk about this. Read it for yourself. Beginning of Acts 16, as I recall this one. There's, there's basically, Paul, in this situation, so Paul can't get to Asia. And so he, what does he do? Does he sulk? Does he stand on the Asian border pining for Asia? Like, Wow. If only I could go, maybe one day God will let me go there and, and go and speak to these people. You know, but in the meantime, I'm just going to stand here and wait. 
And God, you know, you know I'm here, Lord. Just send me. When you're ready, I'll just send me. Well, Paul doesn't do that. And sit there moaning and whinging and complaining and, and, and getting all critical or pining or any of that stuff. What does he do? He cracks on with what he's there to do. He gets on with the mission. And he goes, well, okay, I can't go that way. So I'm already headed this way. I want to go that way. So I'm just going to carry on that way. And he goes, instead of speaking to them people over there that I want to speak to, God's put all these people right in front of me. So I'll speak to you instead. And he does that and Paul starts speaking to these people. But in the midst of it, he's woken up in the middle of the, well, actually, I'm not sure he's woken up. Maybe that's unfair to say that he's woken up. But he has a dream. Paul has a dream. He has a vision, not just a dream, it's a vision. And he sees a man stood in front of him from a place called Macedonia. I think if I, remember, I should have checked this. It's in Greece, isn't it? New te- the kind of modern day Greece. And, and Paul sees this man stood there in front of him. And this man is calling out and he said, come and help us. Can you imagine that? You see, when I read that story, I can only read it one way. And this is me, right? I can only read this story as if there's a, uh, there was a real man stood there crying out to God for help, crying out to the Holy Spirit and saying, help us, Lord, help us, Lord. And what some of you might not realize, right, is that years ago, maybe not long after we'd started kind of pastoring the church in, in this chapter, I, I, I did that in my bedroom, right? I stood there and, and I, I imagined there was a, the, the Holy Spirit was stood there and, and I said, okay, Holy Spirit, press record now. And, and I stood there and I said, come and help us. Come and help us. We need your help. What we're doing here is too big. We need your help. And I think that some of the people that are here with us now today, that God has brought you in answer to that. And I think that man in Macedonia who did that call, I believe that the Holy Spirit took, and this is just my belief, I could be wrong on this, but it's the only way I can read this story, is that God took what that man was crying out for help, crying out for God's support, and the Holy Spirit saw it, and it touched God's heart, and God went, you know what, I'm going to show that to Paul, because Paul's a faithful servant. I told Paul he couldn't go over there, and he didn't moan or sulk or complain, he just cracked on with the mission. He went, okay, you put people in front of me, I'll serve them. They might be an ugly bunch, but I'll, not you, not you, obviously, but I'll just serve them and I'll get on with helping them. You know what? I'm going to send that to Paul because Paul's going to go and do it. I know he's a man after my own heart and he will go and do my will. Amen. Come on, I'm preaching it here, guys. Help me out. Come on, what did Vicky say at the beginning? I need some banging of feet. I need some kind of, some hands up in the air, some clapping, all that stuff. Not for me. Not for me, for all of us. For all of us. For the people next to you. Because they don't know whether, they think, yeah, you sat there, right? You might be thinking, I'm the only one that's getting something from this. But when you hear other people in the room kind of going, yeah, you know, hands up in the air, all that stuff, you go, oh, it's not just me. It's not just me. This preach, you think it's me up here preaching. You know what? You're part of the sermon. You're preaching this morning. You are a part of it. And before we even get to the scripture, or the few verses that I'm going to talk about, Paul comes across this woman. When he arrives in Macedonia, 
or Philippi, if, if I remember rightly, it's, which is a part of Macedonia, as I understand it. When he arrives there, he, he meets this group of women, a group of women, and, and he gets together with them, and they're interested. They want to know. They want to know what he's got to say, what he's got to share, and he shares it with them. And this woman, Lydia, right, so she's a rich woman, and I say that advisedly because she's selling rich linens and cloths and that, so you've got to be rich to be selling that kind of stuff. So she's a wealthy woman, and, and, but she's a faithful woman. And she's faithful to Paul. And, and she receives the message with such gravity, with such authority and with such power that she actually says to Paul, hey, my house is your house. My, my, my words, by the way, I'm just kind of paraphrasing that. But she, she invites him, come to my house. I'm, I'm here for you. I will help you. I'll support you. It's that, you get the feeling that's what's going on here. That's what this woman's saying to him. And then a little bit later on in, in Acts 16, verse 16, it says this. It says, one day, I remember this is Luke who's writing this. So Luke's kind of a part of this, but he doesn't really mention himself in the story other than we. He says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So you read this, right? And, and on first sound reading, you go, Paul's got a cheerleader. So this woman's going round and she's telling people, this man, listen to him, he's from God and he's telling you how you can be saved, how you can be saved from your sins, how you can be saved from hell. Think about the weight of your sins and all the things you've ever done wrong, all the moments when you've, you've suddenly, you've thought about it for a moment, all the things you've done wrong and you've thought, oh my goodness, if I ever face judgment for this, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble if I face judgment for this these things that I've done. What am I going to do? And, and this woman's going around selling people, listen to this man. He's from God and he's going to tell you how you can be saved from all of that. I mean, that sounds incredible, doesn't it? And, and me and Vicky, we've been asked to preach at a conference in Canada. And if we turned up, right, and there was there was like a woman there or a man there and she was everywhere we went. She was going round saying, listen to this couple. They're going to tell you how you can be saved. I think I'd be quite pleased with that. I think I'd be like, wow, this is brilliant. These Canadians are lovely people, aren't they? You know what I mean? How wonderful is this? So, so this is all going on, right? And so, but what does Paul do? Paul gets annoyed. Everywhere he goes, this woman's kind of, you know, hey, the cheerleader, woo, 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 here's Paul, he's, gonna, he's from God and all this kind of stuff, right? And, and Paul gets annoyed, like proper annoyed. You, you, you get the feeling that it just gets his goat. In the end, he's, and, and this goes on for days, by the way, but there's a tipping point when it, it, something clicks in him and, and he just turns and he just, Boom, and, and he basically, and we'll talk about the detail of it in a minute because the detail is really important, but for now, he just basically stops this woman in her tracks and just removes this gift from her. 
It's, I shouldn't use the word gift. But this, this thing that she's got where she's able to tell the future, all of that, he removes it from her. It's gone. And suddenly, and, and here's what happens, right? From that, right? So it, Paul does this in, uh, in, in annoyance. He's annoyed. It says he's annoyed. I think it, it uses the phrase like he's, he's extremely angry. That kind of thing, or extremely annoyed. You, know, you get the, the gravitas of it, yeah? Are you with me with this? And so, what happens next? This is, this is really kind of a whole weird story. Because Paul does this, right? And then a mob want to kill him. They're like determined to kill him. And Silas. This mob want to kill Paul and want to kill Silas. And they don't just grab hold of him like a, a, a rabid mob, right? They go to the magistrates. So you think, okay, at least they've gone to the magistrates. You know what I mean? That's cool. So what do the magistrates do? The magistrates go, we'll jump on that. And they get all angry and they strip them. They strip them of the clothes and order them to be beaten with rods. Beaten with rods. That would have been birch. Many of them wrapped together. Not like today in our society. Today we'd never even envisage someone being beaten with rods. This was, you know, wasn't necessarily normal back in that day. But if you were considered a criminal or, you know, you'd done something terrible, then this would have been a punishment that could have been given to you. But it, it was still an extreme punishment. They just go around beating people you know, with rods every time they did something wrong. You did 37 in a 30 zone and, you know, you, you're getting flogged for it. It wasn't like that. But certainly, if it was gravity enough, that would or could be a, a thing that was given out to you. And <laughs> greatly annoyed is the phrase it uses. So the magistrates jump on this and, and they're doing this as well. And and the thing about this is, right, this is where the context starts to come in, the important context. Because on first reading of this, this woman going around cheerleading Paul sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But it's not. And Paul knows it's not. Because she's not saying this from a spirit that has been sent by God or any kind of godly spirit in any way, shape, or form. The spirit, it's actually in the Greek, it uses the word pythos. For the, in, the, in the actual Greek, it uses the word, a spirit of pythos. Pneuma of pythos. And pythos you'll, sounds like python, because it comes from, that's where the word python comes from. This was the spirit of a snake, but it was actually the spirit of a, of a, of a, a god, a Greek god called Apollos. And he was considered to be, this, this spirit of, of, of python was considered to be Apollos. And this woman, this woman was mad, right? She was mad. And that's a sad thing to say about this woman, she was, if you like, we would probably say she was mentally disturbed. She had mental health problems, severe mental health problems. Because what would have been going on here, the context to this woman is this, right? She has, in, in what some people might call, lost her mind. 
That's the phrase they would have used, particularly in those days. They would have said she's lost her mind. She's basically, she's presented as someone who's going around saying random things, but some of them uh, uh, seem almost like there's something to them, what she's saying. But back in those days, they believed that when someone lost her mind, that that could be that actually the gods had inherited, kind of, you know, taken foot in them, and it was the gods speaking to them, and that's what's going on with this woman. They actually think that the gods are speaking through this woman and so they're all convinced of it and she's a slave girl did you get onto that she's a slave she's an oppressed woman abused oppressed sold into slavery you, you name it she's being mistreated in every possible way She's been taken advantage of. No one wants to help this woman. No one wants to go, do you know what? There's clearly something wrong with you. Let's help you out and try and, you know, try and get you into a right mind. They go, poof, we can make some money out of this woman because everyone around here thinks she's speaking from God so we can make a fortune. And that's what they're doing. They're making a fortune out of this woman. And so when Paul turns around and casts out the demon that's within her, because that's what it says, it's a demon that's within her. And when Paul casts out the demon, her masters go berserk. They go mad because suddenly they've lost all their money. They've, the, the gravy train is over. And clearly that gravy train didn't just include her masters. You get the impression the magistrates I, I, I almost want to say allegedly, but who cares? They're dead now, so they're not going to sue me. The magistrates, right, are jumping on board with it as well. They're all in on it. They're all on the gravy train. There's corruption galore. So when Paul comes along and just rebukes this demon, everyone goes mad. And, and you get the strength of the madness, right, that the magistrates are ripping. Can you imagine going to court, right, and the magistrate getting out of his seat and going, I've had enough of you. Out. Get up. Out. Come on. Out. Out. Get out. Out. I'm done with you. Out. Off you. I'm only joking, Jeff. Come on. Come back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll apologise to you later, mate. He wasn't even expecting that, but I hadn't prepped him if he was going to do that. That's, that's akin to what happened. Can you imagine the magistrate doing that? Jumping out of his seat and ripping your clothes off or, or grabbing the handcuffs and throwing the handcuffs on you himself. They're mad. They're furious. They've had enough. Why? What's going on? Here's the thing, right? You start to understand it when you realize there's, there's a context, another context, another layer of context that helps this and is relevant to us today, relevant to us fulfilling our mission and doing what God wants us to do with our life. And it's this, that spirit that was within that woman is often referred to as a familiar spirit. That's what it's often called, a familiar spirit. And let me give you an idea about a familiar spirit, right? If we went off, if you went off to a culture that was alien to you, some of you who have come to the UK, this culture might be alien to you. And you would probably, when you arrived, you would have been able to see the things that we can't see. The hypocrisy in the UK that we're blind to because we've lived with it all our lives. 
And it's just what we do. You would have probably looked at us and go, wow, they're like, they're hypocrites. They're all, they all do this or they all do that. And similarly, if we went off to another culture, every culture will have it. You'd look and you'd go, oh my, look at what they do there. That's the, they can't even see it. You'd be the, the, the crazy, these people. But to them, if you mentioned it, oh, they'd be really offended. Whoa, because that's what we do. This is familiar to us. This is, this is, you know, we've lived with this all our lives. This is who we are. In fact, not just all our lives, but for generations. You know, scientists suspect, I've got to say suspect because it's not proven this, they suspect that in your DNA, right, there's various things going on inside the, the, each strand of DNA in your, it's about six foot longer strand of DNA. And, and there's six foot of DNA in every single cell in your human body, right? And your DNA, right, there's little switches that turn things on and off. It's incredible when you, when you, when you understand it and you kind of get your head around it, how it works. There's switches that turn things on and off and stuff like that. And they, they, they believe or they suspect that your DNA, not so much your DNA that can be changed, but... Uh, there's a, and I forget the name, I should, have, I should have remembered it. There's a part, there's something that affects your DNA that they believe can be passed on from generation to generation. So actually the way that you behave can actually affect your children and turn things on and off in their DNA that wouldn't have been there. Now, I have to say scientists only suspect this. They've not proven this, right? And as far as I'm concerned, science is, you know, it, most of it's unproven, to be frank, and you, some of it you have to take with a pinch of salt. But when I, I think about, when I, when I was looking more into this, and I think about generational curses, and, and, and here's the thing, right? We're in New Testament, so we believe that all the curses are broken. I believe in curses, I believe, I believe they're broken, but I believe in curses. But they're only broken when you accept Jesus. They're only broken when you accept Jesus. Come on. Yeah, bring that on. Bring it on. And so Jesus breaks the curse when you give him permission and you invite him in. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Anyway, I've gone off on one there, haven't I? Should we get back on track? <laughs> but this, this, uh, that's relevant for the familiar spirit because... Some of it can be generations old. One of Jesus' criticisms of the people of his day, the Pharisees, was you're teaching rituals of men as if it's Scripture, as if it's Bible. And it's not. It's just what you've done for generations. It's not what God's told you to do. He's not in it. He's a part of it. And so there's something in this that if we want to fulfill, if we want to really unlock and achieve the mission, the personal mission, let alone a church mission. We all think mission and going off somewhere, you know, poor country, and let's go and help those poor people. You know, with that arrogant attitude that we can sometimes have. It's not always bad, is it? But let's go and help and, you know, and all of that stuff. And, and we think about mission being that. But what about your personal mission? What about your mission, your individual mission, the reason why you were called? And if you want to fulfill that, if you want to ever have a hope of fulfilling your mission, then part of the key, one of the keys to unlocking it is making the familiar unfamiliar. 
making the things that are familiar in your life, in your world, in your home, in your household, making them unfamiliar. The things that have gone on for maybe all your life or certainly for years of your life, uh, changing them, changing them. I wonder where the sugar cube came in. It's, it's like when you take sugar, anyone take sugar in the coffee? You? There you go, mate. If you take sugar in your coffee, right, and I offered you a coffee and didn't put sugar in it, it would taste awful, wouldn't it? You'd be like, whoa, right? But anyone stop taking sugar in the coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I couldn't drink a coffee with sugar in it because it would taste weird. And that's making the, un- the familiar unfamiliar. And some of us think that, oh, you know, I can't do this. It's too hard and it's too difficult because, you know, it's just it's just too tough. It's just not me. It's not what I but it's just that it's unfamiliar. And so you've got to make the familiar unfamiliar. And then the unfamiliar there, familiar. In fact, let's go with that side because we've used this for the negative, haven't we, over here? So the the unfamiliar, the familiar, unfamiliar. Let's put some chains on it even, and let's get rid of that. And then we take the, the familiar over there that's unfamiliar, and we bring it over, and we go, that's going to be my new familiar. That's, that's what God's got for my life. That's my mission, so I'm going to start doing it. And as you start doing it, you get used to it. As you start doing it, you start to see, oh, wow, this actually feels okay now. It feels normal now. It feels like this is, this is me. It feels like I've done it all my life. I couldn't imagine going back. This was a familiar spirit. And the thing about this familiar spirit is some of them ain't going to go easily. That's the sad bit to tell you. Some of them ain't just going to go easily. This spirit, it didn't just go, oh, okay, Paul, I'm off then. Thanks, mate. I had a good ride. You know, done it for years with her and whatever, but you've told me I've got to go now. You're the man of God. I get that. Yep. Authority of Jesus. Brilliant. I've got to go. I get it. I'm off. And just shoot off and, you know, herd a swine or whatever. I don't know. Just, Just get off and go somewhere else. No, what did it do? What did that spirit do? Because Paul and Silas to be beaten. Beaten so badly, right? In the middle of the night, the, the, the prison officer is having to tend to their wounds, it tells us in the story later on. That's how badly they were beaten. And, and you think, whoa, so just be aware, right? You think in a mission, anyone think it sounds glamorous and great and all exciting and all of that? This wasn't so glamorous, this one. You know, real mission isn't always glamorous. Right, and just because it's not glamorous, right, doesn't mean it's wrong. Again, that's the familiar. Familiar is when you've got when you kind of just live in life and you're just doing your own thing and all of that, right? Familiar is doing the things that you like, doing the things that make you feel good, doing the things that feel comfortable and feel good and all of that stuff. And that's the familiar stuff. And so we get used to it. And so suddenly when something feels unfamiliar, it's suddenly like oh, that must be wrong. You know, or, or we see a spirit and we think, oh, that's a spirit, so that must be God. You know, spirit, God, must be, mustn't it? The two, you know, God's a spirit, the, the spirit must mean God. 
Do, do we know that not all spirits are from God? The, see, see, the Bible says, right, that we're not fighting against each other. It's not even against, you know, the people out there, right? Like, we're, we're highlighting through the week. I, I don't know if any of you have caught Stop the Scroll that we're doing through the week, just highlighting some issues that are going on in the world and that are happening at the moment. And, you know, what, what was the one this week that we did? Yeah. So from 10 years old, there's, a, there's an organization in America, and you get the idea, you see the way these things pan out. We've seen it over the years. There's an organization in America, they're lobbying worldwide, globally, um, and they're lobbying that basically from the age of 10 onwards, children would have complete autonomy over their own sexuality. And that's not just on about choosing you know, what their sexuality is. We're not just on about that. We're on about it, decriminalizing everything. So if, they, if, you know, if two 10-year-olds wanted to sleep together, that would be cool. That wouldn't be a criminal issue. That's, that's coming into play at the moment. That's, that's happening. They're, they're lobbying for that. I mean, it, it, it's horrendous, this stuff. Just, and, and this is a spirit. But it's not those people that we hate. We're not, we're not like they're bad people. It's not about that. It's not about they're bad people. It's what they're doing is bad. It's what they're caught up in is bad. Maybe it's the, the spirit that's got a hold of them. And believe me, if they heard me saying this, could you imagine the backlash? It could, I, flipping heck, I'd need these. Could you imagine the backlash if we dared to say it could be a demonic spirit, not them? Can we say that? I'm saying it. It's, it's done now, isn't it? We can't. <laughs> but there's, 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 there's a, how long are we, are we doing for, oh, flip. No, we're out of time, aren't we? Better get the band up. <laughs> we were doing so well as well, weren't we? Um, the the kind of, the best bit about the story, and this is probably good having the band up, really. So Paul and Silas are chucked in prison. They go out on this mission. And they're thrown in prison. And Paul hadn't even wanted to go here. He'd wanted to go off to Asia. Yeah, that's where he was going. And he ends up in Macedonia and Philippi and that. And, and next thing, he's in chains. He's chained. Chained up. And then in the middle of the night, anyone know the story? What happens in the middle of the night? There's an earthquake. An earthquake, that, that speaks of the power of God, doesn't it? That's, that's God stepping in. That's God going, that's God going, I'm going to fight for you. You don't need to fight for yourself. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to defeat these forces. I'm going to come in and do it. We, we sang the song before, didn't we, about there's another in the fire. There's a, there was another in that prison cell. When it talks about the walls shaking, that's the word, isn't it? The, the ground shaking and the walls shaking in the song. And they shook. And the chains were broken. 
And the prison officer was terrified. He was petrified because he thought they would have been gone, long, long gone. Suddenly the, the free, the chains have broken. And they'd be gone and running for their lives. But no, they didn't go anywhere. And when the prison guard came out and, and was like, why haven't you gone? They're like, why should we go? We've done nothing wrong. And then God just gives them the words to say. And they tell them. And next thing, the end of the story is the, the magistrates are coming out and they're begging them for forgiveness. Please, we're sorry. We should never have done this. We were wrong. And justice prevails. Justice prevails. And it might sound to you like, well, you know, what about the beating that they had? Here's the thing about the beating. And maybe I'm not there yet. I've had a few spiritual beatings and a few emotional beatings and different things like that. But Paul and Silas, they took the physical beating as an honor. Their attitude was, we're privileged. Wow, God has chosen us. He's picked us out. He's chosen us to be beaten for his name's sake. I think, I believe the Spirit is speaking this morning. I believe we've got to do a mission as a church. And I urge you, please put in the message. Let us know. If you feel that, you know, something about when I talked about that Macedonian call speaks to you and you feel like, you know what, I've always had on my heart about this or about that. I can't promise we might get a hundred different destinations. Who knows, right? I can't promise where we'll go, but I can promise this, that we will seek God and, and seek the Holy Spirit. Ask them where, what, how, when, who, all of that stuff. But it, this is a, a community thing, isn't it? And who knows, maybe your suggestion might not be for now. Maybe that might be for six months or a year. Maybe yours is for now. Maybe yours is the one that needs to be said. Maybe you're not the only one that's going to suggest the place or the people or the time or whatever that you're going to suggest. It could be anything. It's just whatever you feel is on your mind, is on your heart. But if you want to fulfill your own personal mission, because you can't really fulfill a, a kingdom mission without fulfilling your personal mission first, then what you've got to do is you've got to take the things that are familiar in your life, that you've got to do an audit, you've got to look through your life and go, what is it in my life that's familiar, that's actually not right, that's actually not God, that's actually not Him and, and yet it's familiar, and yet this thing doesn't want to let go of me easily. But I'm going to let go of it. And it might be tough, and it might be hard, and I might feel difficult. And some of you might, it, it, it's a physical thing to give up the things that you've got to. I know there's some in this room, and it's a physical thing to, to step away. Or it's been a physical thing even to step away from the familiar that, or the thing that became familiar in your life. Don't give up. Don't stop. Because the unfamiliar is becoming familiar. And the familiar that God wants in your life is Him. Because whilst familiar spirits were generally associated with demonic things, 
How about this? Let's make the Holy Spirit. Let's make God's Spirit, God's anointing, God's will in our life are familiar. Amen? God bless, guys. Take care.